Hello, and welcome to the New Hope Church podcast. You're listening to our series, Sticks and Stones. Don't forget to check us out online at www.newhopechurch.tv and follow us on all social media at New Hope Church TV. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy. All right, welcome at all of our campuses today. Alvin, Webster, Friendswood, and 288. Thank you for joining us on this cool, cool, cool summer day. Um, well, guys, thank you. Uh, before we jump into our sermon, uh, I want to remind everyone that Pastor Tim last week announced our new service times. And so if you haven't been able to check that out, go to our website uh, and you can find out all the different service times. We're going to be launching at all of our different campuses. Every campus is getting a new service time, and we're really excited about that. Uh, we are just thrilled uh, and honored that we are creating space for more people to know Jesus. Uh, it is such a privilege and honor that we get to think creatively so more and more people can know the saving love of Jesus. Amen? Uh, so it's an honor. So we're so excited about that. But there's three things that Tim reminded us of that he wants us to be doing. I want to remind us as well. Uh, the first one is to pray hard. Will this work? We have no idea. We have no idea. Um, but we have fasted, we've prayed, we sought the Lord, and we believe this is the best thing for us to continue to help more people know Christ and make him known. So we just ask that you just be praying with us uh, that when we launch this at the movie series, that's when it's launching in August, uh, that the Lord would just bless it and continue to help more people know Jesus. So if you could be praying, uh, joining us in that, that would be incredible. The second thing is to be generous, not only financially, if, if the Lord leads you that way, but also with the most important resource that you have, which is your time. Uh, by adding these services, we're going to need more volunteers to make it happen. Here's how real it is about volunteering. We could not have the service you are sitting in right now at any of our campuses without uh, the servanthood of our volunteers. Uh, and so if you are thinking about serving, you've been thinking about doing that, especially at one of our new service times, we would love for you to step up and serve with us uh, and start helping more people know Jesus. And the last one is to be flexible. Our goal every time is just to continue to help more people know Jesus. And we pray that this will work and we believe that this will work. Uh, but we're going to have some kinks that we're going to have to work out. There's some new things we're going to have to work out. Uh, we just pray that you be flexible with us as we grow and learn from this together. Uh, I also pray that you had an awesome July 4th. It was good for you. July 4th is a very manly holiday. Uh, if you didn't know that it is, because one of the main things you do on July 4th is this. You grill. Why? I don't know. You just do, right? You go July 3rd to Home Depot, there's like hundreds of men just carrying around grills. They're like, I don't know. I just need this. July 4th tomorrow. And then you, you just put stuff on the fire. Mine never looked this good, ever. I've never made a kebab. Uh, my goal if I cook chicken is somewhere between I'm getting food poisoning and it doesn't taste like cardboard. If I'm in that range, I'm a pro. Uh, so there's a lot of grilling. And then we think, this is how we think, we think, okay, it's already hot. It's already humid. I'm sweating. It's 99 degrees with 100% humidity. You know what we need now? Fire. I'm not sweating enough. I need fire. I want, we're all going to sit here as a family. We're going to sweat together because it's July 4th and God bless America. Uh, really, thank you, Lord, for America. Uh, but then lastly, uh, the most important thing of July 4th is ba -ba -ba, fireworks. How many of you all saw fireworks on July 4th? How many of you exploded fireworks on July 4th? How many of you exploded fireworks in your hand on July 4th? 
It's kind of ironic to raise your hand to that. Um, I have a story about fireworks I'm not proud of, but it's fitting. Um, when I was in high school, let me just say this about high school. If you have a high school student, you understand. Uh, your, your body grows faster than your brain at this stage of life. Uh, and so I saw fireworks and I thought, man, how cool is it that fireworks go up in the air and then explode? Wow, wow. And then I thought, what if instead of shooting them up in the air, I shoot them at people? So then I told my friends my epiphany. I said, hey guys, what if instead of shooting fireworks up in the air, we shoot them at each other? Yes! That's awesome! So we coined the very creative phrase, firework wars, no joke. And so at my parents' property, we uh, split up fireworks. We each had bottle rockets and then artillery shells, and we'd chase each other around. So we'd be running, and you'd be chasing them, and then you'd have a bottle, and you'd have the, art the bottle rocket in, and you'd light it, and just like, you have to dodge it. The best part, though, was the artillery shells, which are these things. Normally, when used properly, you have a tube, you put it inside the tube, you light it in the tube, it shoots out of the tube, up in the air and explodes, you go, ah, that's how they normally work. How they could work uh, is you hold them, they kind of look like a little grenade because they have the little thing coming out, so you light it, and the key is you hold it just long enough where you think it's gonna explode. You throw it at your friend and then kaboom. I know what you're thinking, do not judge me. Don't judge me, I see all of your judgment faces. You know what, you know what? Only God can judge me. <laughs> How many of you said this phrase before? Only God can judge me? You know when we say that phrase? We're doing something really, really stupid. That's when we say this phrase. But it's kind of ironic because it goes along with this phrase is actually correct in some sense. Uh, with what we're talking about today from the book of James, specifically in two verses, we're talking about this idea of judgment. So at all of our campuses, say the word judgment. In the most judging tone you possibly could, say the word judgment. Judgment! Yeah, judgment. I want to show you the scripture we're going to be looking at today. James chapter 4, 11 through 12. Um, I want to show you how many times, it's kind of impressive, how many times James can use the word judgment in two verses. Check this out. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or what? Oh, judges them, speaks against the law, and you're seeing a theme when you judge the law. You are not keeping it, but sitting in close enough judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who, you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Six different times James uses the word judge in these verses. And we see this idea of judgment in a couple different places in Scripture, but the other one I want to show you um, is one that you've probably heard before, right? All of these scriptures are about how we're not supposed to judge people, right? And then there's the famous one that uh, sometimes is taken out of context from Matthew chapter 7. Do not what? Or you too will be judged. Jesus said it, right? That's okay. So is that the end of the sermon? We're just not supposed to judge people? Wrap it up. Prayer partners are down at the front. Let's go eat. Uh, not really. Here's the thing. Judgment in Scripture is a really tricky thing, and I was spending a lot of time wrestling with this. And so what I want to do is I want to start broad and then work narrow. So I want to start broad and make sure that every person here at all of our campuses has the right understanding of what judgment is. Then we're going to get practical and start on a day-to-day -day basis, me and you today, 
what does judgment look like in our lives, okay? So fact number one on your listening guide I want you to write down today is this. Fact number one, Jesus is the ultimate judge. Jesus is the ultimate judge. I'll show y'all what I am talking about here in back at James chapter four, verse 11 and 12. This is the same scripture we just read. I wanna pick it up from this sentence down here. It says, when you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only what? One lawgiver and judge. So there's only one lawgiver and judge. Who is that lawgiver and judge? He elaborates, the one who is able to what? save and destroy. Jesus is the ultimate judge. He is the one that can save and destroy. And Jesus actually makes it very clear for us in scripture. I'll show you from the gospel of John chapter five. He says this, moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all what? Judgment to the son. So this is saying that Jesus is the ultimate judge. He is the judge that all of us will stand before one day. He is, has fulfilled all the prerequisites you can say to be our judge and not be hypocritical, right? Because he's not holding us to a standard that he did not keep himself. Uh, kind of similar to, ha- have any of y'all ever, or maybe currently, or maybe on the way here to church today, had to teach a teen how to drive? You ever had to do that before? I pray for you, your car, and your heart rate, uh, blood pressure. Uh, I see it on the other side. I see your 15 to 18 year old, depending on how much you trust them. Um, I see them upstairs and thinking, oh, I just, oh, why, my parents don't let me. Uh. <laughs> That's literally accurate. You know exactly. <sighs> and I say, I don't blame them. I fear that you would drive a 2,000 pound car one day. My life is flashing before my eyes, thinking of you behind a wheel. Uh, So I pray for you. Uh, But you probably have done this and when you're training a teen driver how to drive, what do you do? You sit there and you say, okay, here's the rules. Here's the blinker, here's the lights. You use your blinker, you use this, you use your mirrors, you don't eat while you drive, your knee is not a correct use for a steering wheel, 10 and two, turn the music down, turn the music down, turn the music down. Turn it down, turn it down. Okay, music's off, no music, not allowed. And then if you have a witty kid, you know, the witty ones that try to be all smart, they say, mom or dad, you don't blink. Why do I have to? Mom, you don't use your blinker. Dad, you don't follow that suggested speed limit sign. That's what you told me the other day. Oh, it's a suggestion. (laughs) You've never said that before, have you? Um, And then you might say the phrase like this, do as I say. Jesus thankfully has never had to say that to us. Right, because he, he has never held us to a standard that he did not hold himself. I'll show you in scripture, Hebrews chapter four. Uh, one, the book of Hebrews, incredible. If you wanna read a scripture, well, the whole Bible's awesome. Book of Hebrews is really awesome. Chapter four is really good and verse 15 is really good. So. Just read it all. But anyways, um, Hebrews chapter four, verse 15, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not what? Sin. 
sin. Tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Now, I want to go a little bit more in depth here. Uh, I think this is really cool. So he's, he's referring to Jesus as a high priest. Now, the high priest is referring back to the Levitical law. That's a big word talking about the four, the, the first four books of the Bible called the Torah. Um, and in the Torah, they're specified that they have a high priest, basically the religious leader of God's people, God's chosen people. And so the, the Israelites would be led by the high priest. And one of the biggest jobs of the high priest was on the day of atonement, would to go into the temple, but just not anywhere in the temple, called the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God dwelt. And it's where the, the Ark of the Covenant was. And so they were never allowed to go in there except for this one day, and it was the high priest. And what he would do is offer sacrifices, not only for his sins, but for all of the sins of the Israelite people. Problem was, is that this sacrifice had to be renewed every year. It was not a one and done thing. So every year, the high priest had to go back in and make this sacrifice until Jesus. See, Jesus was our perfect sacrifice when he lived, died, and resurrected three days later. He was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Never again do we have to make those sacrifices because he was perfect. So when he died for us, that is why he is the way, the truth, and the life. So that's why when he's referring to him as the high priest, it's saying that he is the high priest that made the sacrifice once and for all, for all of our sins now and forever. And so if Jesus is the ultimate judge, that means one day, uh, me, you, your neighbor, everybody, all of us are one day going to have to stand before Jesus in judgment. And Jesus kind of clearly lays it out here at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. This is Jesus speaking. He says, when the Son of Man comes, it's referring to himself, comes in his glory, all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious what? Throne. Crazy to picture. Jesus on his throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And what will Jesus separate people? It's not based on your good deeds. It's not because you're a good moral person. It's not because you walked a granny across the street. It's because you know Jesus, because he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through him. He was our ultimate sacrifice. Only through him is, am I cleansed of my sins and all my impurities. Only through the saving grace of Jesus. And so he'll separate those who know that truth and those who don't. And so that is the ultimate judge, right? Jesus is the ultimate judge. And one day we will stand before him in, in judgment. That will happen one day. But what do we do now? Right? I was really wrestling with this idea of like, okay, because there's some people in our lives that we need to call out. There's some people in our lives that we need to, to say things, have hard conversations. How do we wrestle with that? Basically, how do we have godly judgment and ungodly judgment? How do we have that today? And I was talking to some of the guys I work with, and I'm telling you, I work at the greatest place in the world because they are geniuses. I'm the dumbest person in the room all the time. I just fake it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I was going to say that too. Oh, yeah. Yep. Say that again. I just want to remind myself what I was going to say. Yep. Uh-huh. But I was talking to them. We all kind of came to the same conclusion. And it's fact number two I want you to write down on your listening guide is this. Is that when it comes to judgment, your core motivation is what matters. Your core motivation is what matters. 
Your core motivation is what matters. So in other words, what is the root of what I am trying to do here, right? What is my motivation about this judgment that I am about to do? And I wanna show you, go back to James chapter four, 11 through 12, because I wanna dive into this a little bit more and kind of show that that's what James is kind of hitting at, okay? So I wanna show you something up here. Brothers and sisters, do not, what's this word right here? Slander, that word in the Greek is kataleo. I say it fast because it makes me sound smarter. Everybody say cat, eh, leo. You're fluid in Greek, well done. The faster you say it, the cooler you sound, right? So it's like, hey, you know, where do you want to go eat? Kataleo, I don't know, where do you want to eat? Like you just say it faster. <laughs> Letting you in on my secrets. Uh, so brother says, do not slander. What the word kataleo means is basically to accuse, falsely accuse, to gossip, to, to do evil to someone, slander. That's why it's translated that way, right? And so that's what that word means. What James is doing is he's pairing that word kataleo with the word judgment. So we have the word kataleo or slander up there. And it says, do not slander one another, anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or what? So there's a split right here. And he's saying, if you slander or judge. So he's comparing these two, they're combined. So he's not speaking specifically on all aspects of judgment. He's speaking on judgment that is from the core motivation of evil, gossiping, slandering, not having the correct core motivation. That kind of judgment, that ungodly kind of judgment is what we have to cut out of our lives. I wanna show you another example uh, where this word slander or kataleo is used is Romans chapter one. So Romans chapter one, he kind of lists off all these bad things, right? Filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossipers and what? Slanderers, God haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful, and they invent ways of doing evil. So he's saying that all of this is kind of the motivation of bad, ungodly judgment. Right? If my core motivation is ego or it's pride or I'm trying to cut somebody down or I'm gossiping just to, to build up myself instead of helping them, that kind of judgment is false. Now, I can also tell you how you can avoid this later on in life. You can also show your kids. No one wants to be this list. And, and uh, Paul actually kind of makes it clear. Why does this happen? Because they disobey their parents. So if you want to make sure your kids obey you, just say, hey, do you want to be a Cataleo? You better obey me. But he, so if our core motivation is what matters, I was talking to Pastor Colin about this and he kind of gave me a good way to think about it. What is the end result of what I'm about to say? What is my motivation? Is it to build somebody up, to help them know Jesus better, to help them grow in their faith? Or is it to tear them down? Is it to build up God so that they can know God better? Or is it to make myself look better? Like, hey, I'm not as bad as you. Right? I, my life is more put together than you. And I will tell you that I think it's way easier to tear somebody down and build our own selves up than it is to do the opposite. Right? And that's why I think judgment has such a negative connotation. It's because I think it's really easy to do it wrongly and not build people up in the right godly way. And I, I think about us as believers, I think, you know, we do this all the time, right? I do this. I've been guilty of this. We look at someone's life and we say, you're a sinner. I'm done with you. And we write them off, right? We judge them. We're done with you. 
We say, oh, you drink too much, or oh, you dress weird, or oh, you're addicted, or you're fat, or you're poor, you look different, or you're a Cowboys fan. I'm done with you, right? We pass judgment, and we move on. But I was thinking, I was like, this should not be so. Christ followers, the church, we are the body of the church, should be the most welcoming, most inviting, most loving place on the planet. That when people experience something with a Christ follower, they say, man, the whole world thinks of me this way, or the whole world identifies me as this. But then when I talk to this neighbor, I talk to this coworker, man, there's something different about you. Why? Because you are, your core motivation is love. Now, don't get me wrong. Sin is wrong. And the sins that they're struggling with, we're not saying is okay. And that's a different issue. We got to deal with that. And we're actually going to talk about that towards the end of the sermon. But I still, even if they are deep into a sin that we know we don't approve of, I have to see them for who they are. The core of that person is not all their mistakes. The core of that person, let me show you. So God created what? In his what? That's the core of a person. Every single human on this planet is made in the image of God. And there's some people I know that are deep into some sins that are just struggling in such darkness that it's easy to define them by that, but the core of who they are is not that. And I just praise the Lord that Jesus, when we were in our sin, still died for us. It says in the book of Romans that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so Jesus is this ultimate judge, right? And the second thing is we have to watch what is our core motivation? Is it, is it out of love or is it out of evil and cataleo, that kind of language? What is my core motivation? Now what I want to do next, I want to get real practical. I want to get practical on, okay, how do we handle a Christ follower and how do we handle everyone else, okay? So we're going to first start with Christ followers in our lives. So you'll see on your listening guys, with Christ followers, we are called to keep each other accountable. We are called to keep each other accountable. Peer to peer, believer to believer, same standard. I'm not judging you at a higher standard than I hold myself. Same standard, right? We're in this together. I'm keeping you accountable to the standard. You're keeping me accountable to the standard. That's what, it, that's what accountability is. Let's go back to teen driving for a second. Okay, so your witty little puberty-stricken teenager makes a sassy comment to you, right, about why don't you do blah? First, you put them in their place, right? You say, <clears throat> excuse me, and then you say, you say their name, you say like maybe their full name with the middle name included and they get the picture. Um, but then instead of saying, well, I've earned this, right? Or I've been driving for X amount of years so I can do whatever I want. Accountability would say, you know what? You're right. I shouldn't be speeding as much as I do. This isn't a suggestion. I should probably follow it, right? Let's keep each other accountable. I'm gonna hold you to the standard, you hold me to the standard. That's what accountability is. And I wanna show you, I wanna dive into this a little bit more uh, from Matthew chapter seven, which is what we looked at earlier, the verse that's sometimes taken out of context. Um, I just wanna take a moment here and say also, anytime you, we pull a verse 
We have to be so careful because the context is key. Anytime I try to read a scripture, we at the start try to read a scripture, even if we're pulling a verse, we try to get, understand the context of it because that's when people can really misuse uh, scripture. And so here's the scripture. This is Jesus speaking. Well, I want to read in the context of Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. So let's read that together here. Here's that verse again. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Verse 2. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can I say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, something interesting about this scripture here is that one, the main audience that Jesus is speaking is to is to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They were really good at pointing out faults. You might know someone like that, right? Like they're a professional fault pointer outer. They have their degree, master's doctorate in pointing out faults. Um, and what they would do is they would nitpick not to help build someone up, but to build up their own ego. They also held others to a way higher standard than they held themselves. And so when Jesus was saying this, he's saying, look, you got to hold yourself to the same standard. That's what kind of verse two is about. He says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Same standard accountability. We're in this together. I want to tell you, I think accountability for believers, for Christ followers, is one of the most important things you can have in life. I have men in my life that can call me out on my stupidity when I need it. And it's not them judging me. It's not them being mean. No, it's godly judgment and godly accountability because I can do the same for them. And I need it because I want to follow Jesus and it's, it's really, really, really difficult to do it by yourself. So if you don't have godly men and women in your life that can hold you accountable and you hold them accountable, that's your challenge today. And if you don't have people like that in your life, one, you may need to check who you hang out with, but two, get plugged into one of our life groups. It's an awesome way to find other godly men and women to hold you accountable in life because we need it. So this is what we're supposed to do when we are Christ followers. Now, I believe we fall on one side of a range or the other. So you could be hearing this today and you follow Jesus and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you are kind of falling on the pendulum of, well, see, this is why I don't bring up anything because I don't want people to judge. I don't want them to feel like I'm judging them. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want them to feel like I'm, uh, I'm going to hurt our friendship. So I just don't bring it up. Even when you know this person is struggling, even though you know that there's a sin in their life that, that needs to be called out, the Lord has put it on your heart, but you don't say anything. I've been guilty of that myself. And I didn't want to hurt the friendship, so I, I didn't want to say anything. No, hear me on this. You're actually hurting them more by not saying something. It's godly accountability that we need to have. And by you not saying something, you're keeping them from following God as good as they could. That's on one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is you're like, oh, do not worry, Carl. I am good at pointing out faults. I'm good at it. Do not worry. I got you, Carl. I will point out faults in a godly way. No problemo. Um, for you, I'd say check your heart. 
Check your motivations. Do you really need to point out that that ceiling tile is a different color than the other ceiling tiles? Does that really help someone know Jesus better? Check your motivations, right? See what it's all about. Is this helping someone know Jesus better? Now, what do we do? That's with Christ followers. What do we do about everyone else? People that don't know Jesus. I wanna say this on your listening guide. Everyone else, love them as Jesus does. Everyone else, love them as Jesus does. So this is the person that we have in our lives that doesn't know Jesus, that hasn't had that moment of a complete brokenness where maybe you had everything else in life, but there is still something missing. And you're like, man, I need something more. You realize that I am nothing. I could put on a good front, but I need Jesus. They haven't had that moment. Uh, I was talking to one of our staff members. He's in our IT department. His name's Ben Brown, incredible guy. Uh, but I was talking to him about a story and he was telling me that he, for an, he was an atheist for many, many years of his life. He had everything he needed, right? He had, he had a job, he had his 401k, he had his house, he had his family. He was good. He had everything that the world said that he needed, but something was missing. And so he uh, started searching and he ended up here at New Hope and he found Jesus and it changed his life. He quit his job and he came and worked here because he just wanted to serve God's church. He's doing incredible things. But he had that moment, right? Where I need something more. This world is not enough for me. I need something. And so if that person hasn't had that moment, pointing out all their mistakes and flaws and mess ups probably isn't gonna help. I want you to write down a scripture. John chapter eight, write this down, check it out later. Specifically the first eight verses. John chapter eight, specifically the verse eight verses. It's about a woman caught the act of adultery. So the Pharisees go and rip her out of the bed and they throw her before Jesus. And they say, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. She's breaking the law and they're ready to stone her. And you see this incredible, uh, just the presence of God in this moment where Jesus loves the person, loves her, not condoning the sin, but loving the person for where they're at. It's incredible. Um, I've had the privilege of seeing a lot of people's lives changed by the gospel. It's one of the greatest things about working at a church is every week people make the decision to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And I've heard a lot of stories of how people's lives were changed. And I will tell you, I haven't heard, um, yeah, you know, this me being the non-believer, you know, my, my neighbor, he's a Christ follower and he just set me down and he said, you suck, you're awful. You're, you're going to hell, you're dead, you suck, you suck, you suck, you suck. So I accepted Jesus. Like, I don't hear that very often. Um, and I think it's because when we try to hold a non-believer, someone that doesn't know Jesus, to the same standard as us, it's not gonna work. Because they're not even on the same playing field. First they need Jesus then we can have godly accountability in their life. But holding people to a standard before they have the saving grace of Jesus, is, it's not worth it, there's no need. They need Jesus first. And so the key for me is not to cast them off in judgment, but it's to love them, to love them enough, to pray with them, work with them, invite them to church, do these things so that they can experience Jesus. It's all based on the scripture that 
I know we have read many a times, is John 3.16. And I feel like one reason why this verse is so powerful is how simple the truth of it is. It says, for God so what? Loved. The core motivation of the gospel is love. And see, the story I have heard countless times is, man, my, me being the, the person that doesn't know Jesus, man, my Christ-following neighbor loved on me, man. Didn't judge me. Didn't just point out all the things I did wrong, but they were praying for me. They, they sent me scriptures. They, you know, they invited me to New Hope. And, and I just noticed something different about how he treated his wife and how, how he was around his kids. There was something different about this neighbor. I couldn't, I didn't know what it was, but there was something different. And then he invited me to come to church with him. And I started experiencing this thing that they call Jesus and it changed my life. I've heard that story countless times. It's where we as Christ followers share the gospel, live a life that honors the Lord. We share scripture with these people. We show them why we don't do certain things, why we have a standard in our lives. We be the example. We be that example for the people in our lives. And they say, there's something different about you. There's a joy about you that I want in my life. But the, always the core motivation is love. And I wanna encourage you today, um, if you have people that don't know Jesus yet, that you're close with, um, don't lose hope. There's people in my own family that know, don't know the Lord. I pray for them on a daily basis for their salvation. And I pray and I, I, I talk, have conversations with them and I send them scriptures. And, and I just want you to know that do not lose hope because our God is faithful and he can do incredible things. I want to actually tell you a story real briefly about the faithfulness of God. Um, this is my daughter, Eliza. She's pretty awesome. I like her. She's, uh, this was at her one-year-old birthday party. She has three teeth. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, but she's uh, crawling around now and all that kind of stuff. And people ask me all the time, like, what's it like? You know, because people my age are waiting longer and longer to have kids and because they don't want them to interrupt their life and all that. And so they ask me, what's it like? Are you, are you tired all the time? You can't do anything? And I was like, sure, there's hard moments, I guess, but I wouldn't trade them for a minute. I love every moment I have with her. Even when she's pooped herself again, I tell her not to. She's crying. There's tears everywhere, right? Because every time I look at her, I see God's faithfulness. Because it was hard for me, uh, Laura and I, to even get pregnant. And then when we got pregnant, we had two miscarriages. And, and then when we got pregnant with Eliza, we, she had this thing called a cystic hygroma, which I shared with you all before. And is gonna cause, you know, all these birth defects and health issues and all that kind of stuff. And um, the, the doctor said, hey, you really need to really seriously consider having an abortion. And we said, no, no, we're not doing that. It's not, God is sovereign, he's in control. We're gonna love this child because God's in control, regardless, no matter what. Um, and uh, we trusted God, and now at one years old, she's completely healthy. She's doing great. She's, she's rocking and rolling. She's crawling. Yeah, amen. Amen. Um, and so I just want to encourage someone today at our, our, one of our campuses. If you have been having pregnancy issues, if you have had lost a child, if you've had a miscarriage, if you're struggling, and you maybe have a complicated pregnancy right now, I want to tell you that our God is so faithful. And I have learned through this process 
that even though I am completely out of control, He is always in control. Nothing ever overwhelms our God. And even when I feel overwhelmed, I, I, I get to spend time with a God that gives peace that transcends understanding and can give me joy that doesn't make sense. And so I wanna encourage you today that our God is always faithful. Uh, and he's been faithful to me and Laura. We're actually expecting another child, a little nugget in January. That's our ultrasound. Hey, yeah. 5.4 centimeters. It's like the size of a plum, I was told. Uh, but we heard the heartbeat the other day and doing awesome and incredible and healthy. And uh, so if you wanna be praying for that, it'd be awesome. Uh, but I, I just don't know where you're at today, right? Um, maybe God's telling you to be more bold, right? That you have people in your life that you need to call out and you're worried about ruining the friendship, but God's calling you to be more bold. Maybe he's telling you to tone it down a little bit, right? Don't worry about the ceiling tile. And maybe, you're a non, maybe you don't know Jesus today, right? You're like Ben, you're searching for something. I don't want you to miss this moment of accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your entire life. But never forget, our God is so faithful. Amen? Will you stand with me, church? <clears throat> We're gonna have prayer partners down here at the front. If you need to pray about anything, talk about it. Don't miss this moment. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the men and women in this room. Lord, thank you for salvation. Thank you for your grace. I pray, Lord, that we would just continue to live our lives that honors you, Lord, that glorifies you, Jesus. We pray this all in your wonderful, glorious name. Everybody church said, amen. We love y'all. See y'all next week.